Well, thank you. I just have to say, um, that's such a great uh, testimony in the sense of just a story of how um, someone who's new came in. And I just have to say to you, if you are new, I'd love to meet you. I'd love to take a moment to say hi. Come up after the service and, and please um, just introduce yourself. But we have a QR code and, and you know how to do this, right? You've been in a restaurant where you had to do some, uh, with a, uh, a menu. If you would take your phone, just point it at that, we would love to um, direct you in some ways that could be helpful. One of those is for us to connect with you. So we'd love for you to do that, take a moment to do that. The other thing I wanted just to mention to you before we get into the message is that um, we have a like a balloon arch out here in the lobby, and we'd love for you to take a better together uh, picture. We have someone who can take one for you, or we can use your phone to do it. Uh, we'd love for you as families or whatever to kind of record, record that, uh, that picture this day as we venture into this whole idea of coming back and being together and doing it in ways that are far more effective and fulfilling and meaningful when we do it with one another. So I just want to um, give you that. I want to ask you a question. What was the hottest summer by average temperature. Okay, I want you to think for a second. Was it 2021, 2012, 1988, or 1933? Anyone want to shout out an A, B, C, or D? Whoa, well, well, you are wrong. Actually, the hottest one so far is 2021, 75.6 degrees. And the second hottest of those, you said 1988. Some of you were like three or four or five years of age at that point and maybe no stories about it. But that was 75.2 or 75.5, just one-tenth degree. That's from what I heard on CARE 11 News, right? Or got to trust CARE 11 weather. Um, the second hottest was 1933. Um, third hottest was 1933. So 2021, 1988, and then 1933. But I just want to share with you briefly about the 1988 drought, because I remember that. The drought of 1988 was no rain, fantastic, and it gets into mid-June, and still it's a great weekend, but no rain. And now things weren't so great. It was hot. And then as that continued um, into like the last part of July into early August, I had the opportunity as I was preparing for the fall startup and for all the ministries and some of the messages, I was able to go to my parents' cabin, and they had a cabin at that time up in Annandale at Cedar Lake. And I went there, and I was studying, and I'm sitting on the porch, I'm looking out, and the grass was brown and brittle. It was so brittle that when you walked on it with your bare feet, it hurt. And I looked out at the leaves, and the leaves were not they didn't even change that year. They were already brown. 
And we had by about mid-July started moving our dock out further. So, you know, normally it would be here. Well, then it was out about five to ten feet. We moved it out one time. And it got to be so low, the water levels, that we moved our boat lift. Here's the end of the dock. We moved the boat lift another 10, 15 yards or so out into the water. And I remember everything was yearning for rain. The land, the people, even the animals. I remember I took the boat out. It was like now at this point later in August and took the boat out with uh, my wife, our nephew, Aaron, and we were in this boat. We're driving along. You know how you're bouncing along on waves and it was um, one of those hot days again. And and I'm looking back, talking to with him and all of a sudden out of the, the bottom of the boat down by the motor runs out this muskrat, runs right up to him, looks at him, turns around and runs out the back. And honestly, I saw this thing going like this out the back. (laughs) I can't be on this boat with this crazy driver. Whatever. Even the animals were looking. They couldn't find homes in the same place. So that's why the guy told us after all the damage that we had reported and and how much it cost us to repair the boat because it ate all the foam and all the stuff underneath. They were looking for, for rain, for more. And I sat out on that, that porch and looked out. And at that period in my life, the outer landscape was really a reflection of what I felt in my heart. I remember just thinking, God, I need, I need a fresh rain. I remember thinking, I need more of you, God. This outer landscape needs rain, but I need more in my own heart. Now, I say that because I look at the season that we've come in, and and it is one of the hotter ones on record. We have had our own drought, right? We have seen how this has occurred and what's going on. I have a sense, as we look at going through COVID 2020, having gone, gone through all the difficulties that have even occurred in our summer, all the uncertainties of 2021, I believe there are people, and you may be here this morning saying, I need a rain. I need more of God. I believe there's people around us who don't even know how to say that. Don't even know what they mean by that. I believe there is a world around us that is praying, that yearns for more of God. And I believe we have one of the greatest opportunities to share that. I say that because just look at all the external forces that are coming against us right now. Have you listened to the news? They talk about apocalyptic kind of things, biblical sized events and famines and floods, fires throughout the world. These are just physical things, hurricanes, tornadoes in places you don't have tornadoes, floods in places that they've, that's been higher than it's ever been before with death rates that are beyond what could be imagined. Viruses and diseases and pandemics that we, we think we conquered, but then they kind of come back again. And that's just the physical side of things. Think of the social relational things that are occurring. You just think of the kind of social unrest that we've been experiencing within the races. You, you think of the political divide that's occurring 
and the hatred and division. You, 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 you just continue to look at our world and, and then you look at the international upheaval in, in a place like Afghanistan. And I think there's a sense we're saying we need more. And then I just go, not just the, the physical and the social dynamics, the personal, family, individual things that are going on. The emotional strain, the grip of anxiety on school children and our youth. The confusion they're experiencing. The record numbers of people reporting depression, the unparalleled loneliness, they're off the charts. This immobilizing fear and a growing sense of division and hatred. And I just go, what do you do when all the external things are just coming with such force against you? In the Bible, actually records story upon story of what you do. God's word tells us that there are these external forces, but there's an internal force that comes. That actually giants fall to the childlike confidences of David's. Abusive, corrupt governments are influenced by the prayers of Daniel's. People, God's people, are protected by the interventions and courage of Esther's. In a world, it tells us, at one point was transformed by a bunch of B-squad walk-on followers of Jesus who were just mere fishermen. They weren't university trained. Tax collectors who were traitors Adulterers and others, it says, who were just plain sinners. This group of not just 12, but followers among them, 120 in an upper room, transformed, made a difference in the world. Because they had in their hearts a deep sense that this world is under famines and droughts and in need of more. I want to tell you a story that I think is a great story that we're in this um, chapter in Acts of chapter Acts 19. I will only share with you about the first 12 verses. It's an incredibly wonderful story that you need to look at, but it's one of the more stories of God. And in it, you'll see in these 12 verses, there are some realities or what I would call truths that we need to pay attention to that can that can literally allow for there to be more internal pressure within a person and people that, uh, that, that can transform the external forces that come against us or allow us to withstand and even overcome them. And so as you look at Acts 19, it's really interesting. It's at this point, Paul is finally coming to Ephesus. He's tried on a number of occasions to come to this city, Ephesus. Ephesus was, is in modern-day Turkey. You can still go there and see the ruins of the city. It's phenomenal, this port that went way out, this, this, um, it went way out where... All these ships would come in. It was probably about the fourth or fifth largest city in the Roman Empire at that time. And um, Paul wanted to go there because Paul was all about trying to influence every major city so that from those major cities like arteries, this more of God would just flow. 
And so when he went on his first kind of what I call adventure trip, scholars call missionary trips, he went through Asia Minor, went back, told the church in Jerusalem, told the church in Antioch. They were all thrilled. He decided to do another adventure trip, went back again to those places. But his heart and his desire was to go to Ephesus, to go through the first place he went, but to continue, keep going east towards the coast where Ephesus was. And it says in chapter 16, verse 6, that it says that he wanted to go, but he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Doesn't give any explanation why. Verse 7 says he tried repeatedly to go to Ephesus, to a place. Doesn't name Ephesus, but that's what all scholars believe. And it says he was kept again and again from going there by the Spirit of Jesus. And so then he ends up going across the little channel to get over to Greece. He goes through Greece. And on his way to, in, in Greece, he goes to this last city, Corinth. And in Corinth, he, he decides he's going to take this vow, go back to Jerusalem, go back to Anak, show his missionary slides and show the things that he's done there. But on his way, he goes to the port of Ephesus, but he doesn't go into Ephesus. He drops off some of his key workers, some that he had just met in Corinth, a, a couple named Priscilla and Aquila. And they go there. They start trying to work the ground, break the ground, kind of um, getting the foundation laid. And as they're there, a guy named Apollos comes. And Apollos is a guy who's been trained in this incredibly um, great university system over in Alexandria. I mean, it would have been the Harvard this day. He comes and they talk to him. And he knows about Jesus and the ways of Jesus, but he hasn't received the fullness of the spirit, the power of God within, the more of God within. And so she goes ahead and they pray for him and he receives this fullness, the more of God. And then it starts here in chapter 19. Ephesus is one of the hardest places. It's, it's the toughest nut to crack. It had this stronghold for over a thousand years um, from a temple called Artemis. And Artemis was this power, and it was not just a, a power of wealth, which it was a lot of that, but it was a power also of, of all kinds of magic arts and, and things that seemed to, to show the power of, 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 of the gods of the world. And so they were, they were one of the hardest forces to come against. And that's one of the reasons why the Spirit of God kept him from going there, because Paul wasn't ready yet to bring the more of God. He had things to learn. And so they go here, and, 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 and this city is so difficult to reach that if you read Acts 19, verses 26 through 29, you get to the end of this story, they, they begin to influence, they begin to make huge changes, the first part of the story, which we'll get into. But the last part of it, you need to hear the last part of it, because they are so upset by the, by the internal force of the Spirit and what God is doing... That they're losing their wealth, their positions, their political power. They're really afraid of losing their religion. And listen to what it says. Those who opposed the follower of Jesus were furious and began shouting. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Everyone rushed to the amphitheater. I studied overseas in the Middle East. Spent about six weeks in Jerusalem, spent some time in Turkey, spent some time also in Greece and Rome. But I went to this city of Ephesus. I saw the amphitheater, huge amphitheater. That's where they're meeting, in this huge amphitheater. And they're all in there, and they're shouting in unison for about two hours. Listen, think of, I wish I could have you say, we don't want to say this, but great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Can you imagine two hours yelling that? 
I've seen Super Bowls where when the game is done, they yell for about 20 minutes. There's only one sports event where they yelled and shouted for about two hours. You know what it was? 2016 Chicago Cubs won. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm a big Cubs fan. It's been a really hard year. I had to do something here. But anyway. (laughs) This is what they're coming against. Here's the three truths. Luke reports it in a narrative form. I'm going to read to you Acts 19 verses 1 through 12. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus, something he couldn't do before in 16. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So ask, Paul asked them, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is in Jesus. Now, I want you to just know right here, what he's saying is you were baptized with a desire for the coming of this Jesus who would come in and fill you with his Holy Spirit. You understand all the external things that, that need to happen of, of a repentance and a recognition of your sin and your need. You understand all these things. You have within your heart already the desire for the more of God. And in this situation, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And there were about 12 men in all. Real quick comment. I was going to say this the last Sunday preach. I'll just say it here. We really believe that there is not some second experience that when you receive the Holy Spirit, that immediately you become more mature or, 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 or in some way, um, you need uh, that second experience. We believe you need a second, third, fourth experience, fifth experience. We believe that when the Spirit of God enters you, when you cry out to Jesus, he enters you. But I want to share with you, it doesn't mean you're full of the Spirit. And there are times when the Spirit of God comes on people in a more fashion where he endures them with power to do ministry. Jesus, it says, after he was baptized, he went into the wilderness where there God allowed him, his father, for his character to be transformed. And then it says when he returned, he returned in the power of the Spirit. So he was full of the Spirit. He actually had the Spirit, but he didn't receive that power to do the ministry until there was this time ready and set for the more of God. So that he could go and he did all the ministry that the father had called him to do. And so you see, as Paul entered the synagogue and he spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way meaning the, the name for the church at that time. They, were, they weren't called, in some places called Christians Antioch, but it, mostly around the world they were known as the way. The way of who? The way of Jesus. Not people who said, I like Jesus, I believe in Jesus, but people who actually lived like Jesus. And so they were the people of the way. So Paul left them. He took the disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. And God, here's he accompanied this more. He did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick. 
and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. First truth. We need more than ourselves right now. More more now than ever. We need more than our wisdom, our ingenuity. We need more than our ability to be educated and come up with the best education systems. We need more than our political savvy and political powers and all the things that are we're putting our faith in. We need more, but not of that. Not that those aren't bad. Those are all good things. Oh, God gave you a mind. He says, love the Lord God um, with your heart, soul, and he says your mind. So all those things are good. But we need more. We need God in us. We need God in us. For the forces that come against us, we need God in us. What we read here in in verses 1 through 7 is there's this baptism um, that they received of John. um, But they hadn't been baptized. They hadn't been immersed in the Holy Spirit. And it's a really important point. Because what they needed there was not just to know about Jesus, the coming of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus. They didn't need to know about the way of Jesus, even though those are all important things. They needed more. They needed God in them. They needed the Spirit of God showing them. In order to, in order to overcome the forces coming against them. And so you get this picture of that. I was, um, I was probably as heartbroken as, as so many of you were when, when the news headlines of our pullout of Afghanistan took place. Anybody feel that way? And, I, and I, I remember it was just even hard to watch the news outlets, but part of my responsibility is to be in touch with what God is doing in the world so that I can be in touch with how to speak to the needs of the people within this world. So I, I would watch those and I would, I would be in tears and eventually I just couldn't watch it. I had known the fact that Russia had come back in 1979, I believe it was. They came in and for nine years they tried to prop up a political power that was kind of enabling Russia to, to spread their doctrine. But it fell. It couldn't even hold it. it they lost 15,000 um, people, soldiers in that war. And then, and then we came in in 2001 with a real legitimate reason, and that was because what happened here in 9-11, just so we, saw, we, were, we were memorializing yesterday, in 2001, we came in, and for 20 years, we were rooting out what? Terrorists. And we were thinking we could set up this external government in this form of a government that they could take and they begin to get the ideals of democracy and freedom and all the good things that, that God has blessed us with in this sense here to govern ourselves. And, 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 and then I just watched that and I thought of the lightning strike of Taliban going through and in, in a day it's all toppled. And I remember thinking I, I just, my heart ached for families lost Men are, you know, sons or daughters, husbands, wives, parents. My heart ached for those who came back physically wounded, emotionally scarred, with a sense of what, why did, what were we doing? What, what were 20 years all about? And then I began to think about the people who actually came alongside the, 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 the U.S. soldiers there in, in our political system and, and risked their lives and, and now they're there by themselves. And, and I thought of the, 
The young girls who are trained, some of them 20 years, think about it, they're 20 years old. They've known only about the good things that they can do being equal as a, as a woman in, in a culture. And then it's ripped from. And I thought, God, this makes no sense. And so in my heart and my prayers, I'm walking with the Lord and I just had this, um, you know, God doesn't speak to me, Kevin, like the, I, in my mind, I had this impression, Kevin, those 20 years aren't wasted. I have been doing something in the hearts of the people who have tasted some of this. And the only way you're going to overcome that which is outside you is that it has to happen from within. The internal pressure has to be greater than the external forces coming against you. That's the principle I want you to get from here. What's inside you has to be a lot stronger than anything outside you. And I remember just walking and, and, and the Lord revealing it to me. And I was thinking about it. I thought, that's exactly right. Because anybody, some of you remember the Berlin Wall? It did not fall because we had a bigger nuclear arsenal. It did not fall, even though these all contribute to it, because Reagan stood up one day and said, Mr. Gorbachev, tear down these walls. Remember that? You know why it fell? It fell because of what was happening within. There was a guy like Lech Walesa who, who started to stand up, and there was a solidarity movement. And within, it was starting to rip apart, and there was a force greater happening within. Eventually, the walls fell, and the pressure fell away. I'm just going to be really honest. We all need more of God. I need him. For what I believe God wants to do in your life, you need more of God. I don't care about your theology right now. Some of you need to pray a prayer you may have never prayed before. And that is, Spirit of God, fill me with your presence. I want more of you. I want more of you. And there's more than that. As you go on in this passage, we continue to read, there's what I call not just more than ourselves and that we need more of God in us. We also need more than just one, two, or a few. We need more in the sense of all of us engaged in this. We need more of God in all of us working through us. So we need more of God in us, but we need a whole lot more of God working through all of us. Not just one, two, or a few. You need to understand this passage of scripture, and I didn't see it till I studied this. And I've studied this so many times. And some of the commentators don't even necessarily make this point. But it's really interesting because if you look at this passage of Scripture, you'll see that at one point he says uh, uh, that some of these um, followers of Jesus in, in chapter, in, in verse 1, from Ephesus were coming along. And then he asked them these questions. But Luke is really intentional sometimes when he uses numbers. Numbers are important to Luke. That's why if you go to verse 7, it says there were about 12 in all. Why would he say 12? He just, he already said some. Do you know that 12 is a very important number in scripture? It is a governmental authority number. It means that there were 12 what? Patriarchs who were what? Over the nation Israel. There were 12, how many apostles, right? Over the new Israel, the church. 
what I think he's making really clear to us here is not only do you need the spirit of God to fill you, to be in you, but all of us need to recognize we as a church have governmental authority. So when he says there's 12 Ephesians, he's making a, a, a biblical spiritual point. He's saying, guess what? They needed 12 Ephesians to overcome the city and to be authority over the city of Ephesus. Now that should tell us something. It tells us this. We together are better because we bring the authority of God to bear on the places we go. We have the ability with God in us to begin to move into places and, and, and we get the ability through him and his authority to be atmosphere changers. We can actually change the atmosphere of this city. And if we don't believe it, then we're not believing God's word. We need 12 figuratively to understand that. So governmental authority is really important here. Um, the whole idea of authority is important. I was thinking about this. Get in your mind a picture of a guy in a, a five, let's say five big, you know, really brawny, strong football players in a car speeding. And all of a sudden the lights behind the five guys go off and it's a policeman. It's the, the sheriff, let's say, and the sheriff pulls up and the sheriff's five, five, scrawny guy. Okay, guys. Now the football players are probably a little nervous, a little bit afraid. And he goes, I clocked you guys going 30 miles an hour over the speed limit. And I'm going to take a breath test here. Get all, get out. And I want you to put your hands on the car. One of those guys could take that guy on, right? Because his personal power is nothing. That little guy, his person, what he has is what's called conveyed power. These five guys do exactly what they're told because the authority that person carries is not about their personal power, but it's a conveyed power because they know that if they do something to that person, the whole state, a whole group of people, because we're better together, are going to go after him. This is what the church is in the world. We've been visiting a hot spot that we've been asked to be a part of with some other churches down in North Minneapolis. I've told you about this before. It is an area where there's been drugs, there's been killings, there's been all kinds of bad things. And we have authority to make that spot not hot with violence and all kinds of stuff, but with the Spirit of God. I just want you to listen to this 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 story um, right here. I am Andrea Habeisen, the pastor of prayer and worship programming, and I'm here today with Harriet Bolton, longtime member, and we just are going to have a conversation about something that God did. We have teams of people who've been going out and praying in North Minneapolis, praying on the streets really feeling that call of God to go and pray for peace and cook food and distribute food, but mostly just to bring God's presence. Mm -hmm. Kevin actually went to the Navigator class mm -hmm. and was telling them about it, which spurred Harriet to take some action. Well, I guess I took action. Yeah. No, it just reminded me so much of the ministry in Chicago when the Wyzetta women went down to prepare meals and support the church and they would 
put on a tent meeting for a week to reach out to the community and we would go down and support with cooking food and just being there and being a servant presence. Mm -hmm. So it reminded me of that because before the Wyzetta team went down, the church itself would go out and pray in the neighborhood because it was gang territory, Mm -hmm. a lot of poverty, a lot of oppression, and the team would go around the perimeter of the church and the blocks surrounding that and pray Mm -hmm. over that neighborhood and pray protection on the event that was going to happen. So that just reminded me when you said you're going to pray in those areas that we've seen so much struggle. That was so encouraging to me. You know, we are going out in some dangerous Mm -hmm. areas and It's just wonderful that people who have done this before understand Mm -hmm. uh, what needs to happen. Different seasons in Mm -hmm. life, different ways we can be involved, and we're just so thankful for the Navigator team really stepping up and coming alongside to pray. Yeah. We have had so many people, as we've been out, Mm -hmm. serving meals and praying, just saying thank you for being here. They can feel the peace Mm -hmm. returning to their neighborhood Mm -hmm. and they are so thankful for just a a peaceful presence there and we know that that's God you Mm -hmm. know going before us and one gentleman this past Monday night when we were out there came and just said I feel like I can breathe and that meant so much to us But we also want to communicate to those that are praying because absolutely we we all need the encouragement. Absolutely, right? those are the things where we see God at work, and that encourages the prayers for the prayers. Right. So. Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Harriet. Yeah, you're welcome. I wanted to share that because you need to know that when I or some others have gone out there, especially there's a number of faithful, they go out. Sometimes there's two or three, and they meet with other churches, and maybe there's twelve, fifteen, or whatever. Those two or three that are coming from here are not going in their personal power. They're going by the conveyed power of so many who are praying. In the realm of the spirit and the forces that come against that, that work into the violence of people's hearts. Remember, Paul made it really clear when he said, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not against the gangs, against people. It's against spiritual forces that drive them out of a desire for violence or because of the deep shame where they feel so dissed and whatever's going on, we're praying for healing. We're standing there like little five foot five sheriffs. We said as a church, and I am, what's the right words? As I say, dead set. Um, so committed to reach people with the gospel, to both empower and embrace this upcoming generations, these emerging generations. And I'm really committed that we do this together. I'm calling on you this year to do some things together so we can be better. I'm asking you to personally think about this because we don't need one, two, or a few. We need all of us. The truths are this. We need God in us. That pressure that comes from the Spirit of God against the external forces, we need all of us that conveyed authority, that symbolic 12. The church has been given that kind of authority. It's just a matter of we're going to step into it. And we see, just in that video, we see a a glimpse of what that is. 
Now, here's the third thing, and I'll shut up and we'll get on to the food trucks. More than ordinary. Remember I said about a year ago, we're going to pause. We're going to pray like crazy. We prayed like crazy. We did some focus groups. We did things to come together to think about some resets. And some people are going, oh, that's just it. No, these resets are going on. They'll be expanded. We'll be sharing more. But we're just stepping into those. But we said we're going to pause because we do not want to return to normal. We do not want common We do not want to be what we were as a church before COVID, nor do we want the churches in our areas to be what they were before COVID. We do not merely want to be the way the church has been over the last 10 to 20 years in this country. And I I just confess and repent, it's not about making Jesus cool. It's about expanding Expressing the power of his conveyed authority in every place. And so I read this and I say, we, more than ever, we need not ordinary, we need God's extraordinary, powerful presence among us. We need to be when we meet, people go, boy, God's here. We need to be when we go out to where we were. Oh, God's in you. They begin to experience that. And what does that look like? It can mean all kinds of different things. I'm not mean wacky. It can be merely a person yourself who may be suffering with some things, but because of this, you have God in you. There's joy. People don't get that. Because you are committed to be in in, in authentic relationship with others. That through small groups you begin to have the kind of relationships other people go, I'd like to experience life with people like that. It could be that God gives you courage to speak up about him in a way that you never had before. Listen to what it says here. Um, I I love this little verse in Acts chapter um, 19, verse 11 and 12. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and evil spirits left them. They needed to see a power encounter greater than the God of Artemis and all the magic and all the arts that were happening there. I love it. Look, these words in the, in the Greek are really important here. Extraordinary miracles. It's this idea that there were miracles that were happening that were more than just ordinary. That's what the Greek actually says. And I have to laugh because I go, what's an ordinary miracle? (laughs) Maybe it's a healing of one's deafness or maybe the person who's blind can now see or the person who is lame can now walk. That's just the ordinary stuff happening. But these are extraordinary. These, These are people who are carrying the presence of God. A person like Paul in his life in such a way the presence of God and in the faith that has been generated over in his life over years wasn't ready to go earlier on, but now was. Is standing there and the very kind of handkerchiefs that he uses in his work are being filled with his sweat and they're touching people and God's doing miracles because not because of the sweat and the handkerchief or because of Paul but because these people believe that this something that is connected to Paul this Jesus can can transform their life and I go folks I'm just saying we need more than ordinary I think some of the stuff's coming against us because there is a sense that the church is so weak right now that it doesn't have the abilities of community. Anybody watch Star Trek? Okay, date myself a little bit, but you know what? You know what? Every once in a while they go, Scotty, the force field's down, right? 
We don't have a force field. Because we don't really believe. It's not about believing in the sense of, I believe what Jesus says. Because all kinds of people believe what Jesus says. It's about believing it because it changes your internal landscape and life. And, and you begin to now not just have faith in Jesus and love for Jesus, but you now begin to have the faith of Jesus operating through you. You have the love of Jesus operating through you. And that will change things. I predict, I'm, gonna, I'm not a prophet, but maybe I am. I, I, I prophesy if we would say, we want more of you, God, individually, and we would say this, not just a few, but all of us, I predict that we will see the extraordinary works of God. And I want that. I am so convinced that go ahead, that, that that our God goes where He's wanted. Father, I'm going to ask right now in this moment that you would begin to work in our hearts as we sing this song. That you, Holy Spirit, would be working in people's hearts. And I want to ask you to think about this, would you, as you kind of sing this song? I'm not going to ask you. For a commitment right now, I'm going to ask you to think in this song at some point, making maybe this commitment. If you've never done this before, invite the Holy Spirit of God into your heart. Let him wash away all your sin. Let him bring forgiveness. Let him, if you have done that, invite the fullness of the Spirit and say, I want you to endue in me your power that is greater than all the atmosphere and forces around the world. I want you to think about inviting the fullness of the Spirit. And then for some of you, I just want you to begin to start praying. Just to take a step of faith, maybe this week. Some of you, it may be as simple as saying, um, when someone shares a need or something, uh, and you just say, I'm going to pray for you. It might be as simple as that. For some of you, you already do that. I'm going to ask you something even one step further. That's when they do that. Instead of saying, I'm going to pray for you, just say, would you be willing to pray right now with me? And in faith, begin to step into what God is waiting to do.